Hello, and welcome to the Burning Castle podcast. I'm your host, Ashley Rinsberg. Each episode, I speak with a changemaker learning to unlock the creative potential of a world caught in chaos. These are the artists, actors, performers, musicians, designers, thinkers, entrepreneurs, filmmakers, activists, chefs, and countless others creating new paths amid crumbling institutions. You can follow us on Twitter at Burning Castle and on Instagram at Burning Castle Podcast. Hi, and welcome to the Burning Castle Podcast. This is your host, Ashley Rinsberg. This week, I have a particularly interesting guest. His name is Gideon Dabi, and he's an opera singer, a young opera singer. As a baritone, Gideon has been praised by everyone from the New York Times to Opera News for his, quote, powerfully felt, beautifully performed, and articulated performances. He's appeared as Chonard in the Dallas Opera's production of La Boheme, and as Morales in Carmen, as well as Dr. Malatesta in Don Pascal. He's also appeared in the New York Times voted Best of the Year production of John Colliano's The Ghost of Versailles, earning him praise as a standout among a winning cast by the Times. Gideon's resume is as broad as it is deep, but what makes him truly interesting, and what we explore in the episode, is how a young man came to the opera in this day and age, and how his journey began at an even younger age. I think you'll get a lot out of it, and I hope you enjoy the episode. Gideon Dabi, thank you so much for being on the Burning Castle podcast. So you're like quite a different species than usual, for one really, really simple reason, which is that you're an opera singer, and you're not... The opera singer of popular imagination, who is someone who looks more like Pavarotti or etc. Um, but you're like a younger person in the world of opera as a baritone, which you will explain to us exactly what that means. And that to me is really an interesting place to be because opera and classical music is a world unto itself probably two different worlds and two or many worlds folded into those two worlds. And it, there's a real unique culture. There's a set of challenges artistic and otherwise that are very different than what most people are dealing with in culture and the arts and, and anything else. Um, and for someone to step into that to, in this day and age into in 20, whenever you got into it, 2018 or 17, whenever it was, um, is an interesting choice. So let's let's start with the heart of the matter. It's not something I usually do, but why opera? When I was 15, so this is, I'm dating myself, 1994, my uh, grandfather, who was always a big classical music fan, took me to see Les Miserables when it was still on Broadway. Mm-hmm. And I just started imitating the singers. You know, my whole life I've been imitating my grandfather in Israel. I've been imitating my teachers just because it was funny and I like to make people laugh. So I started imitating the singers. And, uh, but it wasn't funny to my mom. She's like, but you actually sound like a real singer now. You don't, it's not funny. And so you start comparing yourself to the kid in school. You know, he's the good kid, you know, the one who excels. His mom's the music teacher. And I'm thinking, that kid sucks. And I'm just messing around over here. 
So I started to really fall in love with the human voice. You know, you start to take a voice lesson. You start to recognize the objective skills of being a singer, that it's not all subjective, that there's a clarity of tone, that there's a, a, a projection, there's a, a roundness of tone, a, an efficiency. You start to recognize these, these, these decidedly objective skills where you start to feel like you have the power. Oh man, I have power. I, I know what's a good singer. I know what's good singing. And then you start to listen to the other singers. You start to listen to Broadway. You start to listen to metal, which got me into singing to begin with. You start to listen to, uh, 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 got me into music rather. You start to listen to all different kinds of singing and you slowly realize that the fullest, freest, and in my opinion, therefore most beautiful singing is an opera. We, we don't use microphones. We don't use processing except for real recordings, which you have to kind of do it anyway. But our whole aesthetic, the entire craft is the, the naked human voice. It's the most relatable thing. Uh, I always talk about when you go to, uh, I've been to, a, I'm a big pro wrestling fan. I know it goes great with opera. But one of my favorite moments was one of the wrestlers at Madison Square Garden turned to the crowd and he just started yelling. And yeah, it was, I don't even remember what he said. I'm sure it wasn't, you know, uh, poetry here. But what struck me was that it was the first time that I'd heard his voice without the camera, without the microphone, without the filtering. It was the, the naked human voice. It's the most organic thing. And that's what attracted me to opera. It was the best music to me. It was the best singing. And that's what I wanted to be a part of. The musical theater, which was sort of how I moved into opera was sort of dance heavy. I thought the music was kind of hokey at times, though there's some wonderful musical theater. I, uh, even recently, there's a lot of great things, but a lot of it was kind of hokey. And I realized that the only thing I was really attracted to in musical theater was the most vocally full singing that there was. And so why, you know, why uh, slave over trying to get into, you know, 10, 20% of musicals when I could do and be happy with 100% of operas. So what's the journey when you decide, okay, opera is the place for, you know, whatever, how old were you at the time when you really committed 17 or 18? Yeah, first 16, yeah. So a friend, I mean, in what's and of itself, dream? well, I mean, how do you, well, most 16 or 17 or 18 year olds have no clue about anything, let alone wanting to be, part of the opera <laughs> and second of all how do you take that even that knowledge and say okay now it's time to to be in professional opera to be an opera singer how do you translate that into reality so it starts really with the choirs in school uh, almost every high school in america and probably around the world has some sort of chorus a lot of people go that's my experience a lot of people come to it through their church choirs church choir is a big thing in, in opera, uh, in black church choir, gospel choir as well. Uh, it's very popular. And, and that's how people are not only exposed to non-pop, non-musical theater singing, but also a lot of the classical composers like Bach and Schubert, who wrote for the church so much. So that's one way in. So you start with the chorus. And of course, when you're doing chorus, yeah, you do have the modern acapella groups that are doing, you know, Beatles arrangements and things like that. Mm -hmm. But a lot of it is still, you know, your your Sibelius and your Bartok and 
you know, your, your Christmas carols, which are all really classically oriented. So the pivot isn't really that great. Hmm. So you, for you, what was it? I mean, it wasn't a church choir. Um, no. <laughs> how, what was the, what was the, um, was it just finding a, a, a school, a conservatory, or is it, how, how does it work in opera? Because, you know, again, this is one of these, like, feels like such a outlier to oh, everything. Weird, yeah. Yeah. I, so it really started with it was I have to credit my mother, uh, like as, as most, you know, good young Jewish boys do for things. Right. And that is that uh, my mom signed me up for voice lessons and she said, you should go. And I remember my friend Sean said, you don't need you sound great now. You don't need voice lessons and how little, you know. And so you start taking a voice lesson and then you you one of the things that's just so attractive and maybe almost uh, uh, euphoric and, and like a drug is that, and I know this from my own teaching, because I teach as well, you know when that sound is right. You can physically feel it. You feel it in your body. You feel it in your face. It becomes more efficient. It becomes fuller and more beautiful. The, the closest thing I could compare it to is if you've ever gone to the driving range or you've ever gone to a batting cage or even kicked a soccer ball, you know how like, well, for me, the number is much smaller, but maybe for you, it's greater one out of 10, one out of five, whatever, you get that one hit, you're like, I got it. And the mm -hmm. ball just flies and, and it feels so good because you know that you got it, you see, you feel the result. That kind of efficiency is very present in singing too. So I started with the voice lessons. And again, you, 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 you start seeing the level around you. And then you pursue it that way. How does one, you know, how does one pursue a career? You look at conservatories for college. I, w I went to Rutgers, who was a state school, but it had a conservatory in it called, called Mason Gross School of the Arts. You know, a lot of actors and, and dancer there as well. And, you know, you start to, I guess that, I guess in some ways the success kind of fuels you and the love of the music fuels you. And I was always musically inclined, but the study of the music history also kind of propels you forward. It's, 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 it's an entire rich universe that most people don't know. And that's kind of both the appeal and also, in my opinion, a weakness to it because it's so foreign and the people, they're gatekeepers essentially in the music world. And it's really uh, stunted our audience a little bit, the growth, I should say. So for you, what, what did that, when you're saying that part of what propels you or propelled you early on was the success, um, how, did you, how did you think about success at that time or in right now? And how did you know that you were on the path? Part of the success is, I mean, like I said, there there is a degree of objective skills, right? So if you think of it, I would almost liken singing more to athletics than to uh, a, another conventional or typical art form, right? When you're trying out for the soccer team and you see the guy's time when he's running, his speed, you know your time. You know you're faster than he is. You see how hard he kicks the ball. You know you can kick the ball that hard too. You know, there, there's sort of these objective skills and the same thing happens in singing. I hear how he sings that piece. I know I hit that note better than he does. I know it's fuller and freer. Now that works at the lower levels, college, maybe as you get into masters and young artist programs. The problem that you face later, like I'm in now is in your career, 
everyone hits that note well <laughs> so it becomes more an issue so it's it's almost like you work your ass off to get to your to get your skills to a point your objective skills to a point that somebody can be subjective about it mm. so it's kind of a thankless goal but it's you know you yeah. always know when you're singing well but then there's the artistry beyond mastery, right. beyond the craft. So you have, right. it's what I always said to a, you know, a friend of mine, because I, I grew up um, through most of my adolescence listening mostly to classical music, I would say, throughout my day. And like you, you start to understand that like the pretty good amateurs or students, they're not hitting the notes, all of them. They might hit 90%. Let's say I, I, was, I, was, I used to play piano. 90% on a hard piece and you're impressed. And then you see the master who's hitting 100% of the notes correct and the timing is correct and everything's correct. And then you have the thing beyond the master, right. the person who is making it theirs. That's where you hear Vladimir Horowitz or any of the great pianists, like that, the piece that they play, you've heard it a million times, but you've never heard that piece the way he's played it because he's made it his. So how do you, how are you trying to, you know, you've get, you've obviously arrived at the, this level of professionalism, which is always evolving, of course, but how do you think about what's next in terms of artistry, in terms of going beyond, uh, you know, at some point mastery? Is that something that is conscious in your mind? You know, it's one, you know, everyone comes to the table vocally with so many different skills innately. You know, you've, you've met these people in your life who when they talk, they say, hi, how are you? And it's this like ping voice that just hits the back of the hall. You know, a singer <laughs> like that doesn't need to worry about forward projection. You listen to my mm. speaking voice. It's garbled. It's in the back of my throat. It's not a good singing mm -hmm. voice because it's back. But right. the backness, if you will, of my own voice provides a, a roundness and, and refinement of tone, if you will. And I have to consciously worry about the projection, but I don't have to worry as much about the roundness that somebody who has a very forward voice, for example, might have to. And one of the things that I actually, and one of these skills is also sort of long fluid singing. And some people are more naturally inclined to doing it. Some people are better with languages. I grew up bilingual. so you know, speaking, working with another language was not a challenge for me. I can internalize it pretty quickly. You so grew up speaking Hebrew. Language. Yes. And English. Yeah. And so do you feel like that, that also, because Hebrew is spoken in a very different part of the mm -hmm. mouth and throat in Hebrew's case, chest, if you're really angry, um, than English, which is really much more in the front of the mouth, the tip of the tongue, um, do you feel like that is something that that contributed to the you know the the mix of voice that you have? I don't know if it does. I know I know I speak similarly to my brother and similar to my father, so I, I suppose that there's some something there with the languages. You know, you hear uh, there's a there's a new trend on on the TikTok as the kids call it, right? That where they notice that when they speak Spanish, their voices get higher as opposed mm. to when they speak English. And it's this mm -hmm. funny little thing yeah. that these native Spanish speakers are noticing. There might be something to that, like with Russian singers, you know, the stereotypical, very far back kind of thing. Mm -hmm. There is something, there is something to that. There, uh, I, but 
I think it's mostly it's mostly natural placement. Just some people are just naturally beautifully lined up vocally. Just like some people, you know, you go to gym class and some people can just jump out of the gymnasium. You know, you went to, to, to play basketball and you got that kid who you didn't think anything of him and suddenly he's dunking on you. You're like, but you're shorter than I am. How are you doing that? It's just some people have a more natural inclination to certain things. So let's talk again a bit more about opera because mm -hmm. opera is, I mean, it, it's so in a way, it's like not even at this point from a different time, it feels like from a different planet. You know, the, the cultural <laughs> context is so different than what it was for opera, certainly, obviously, in its heyday. And I don't even mean it's like, you know, it's uh, Renaissance or let's say pre-contemporary pre heyday. I mean, it's heyday of people who used to actually go to the opera, um, you know, from let's say, maybe not my parents' generation, but certainly my grandparents' generation. That was a big thing. It was like a big deal. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I've, I've been to, op to performances um, here in Israel where, you know, people like kind of pretending they're going to opera, you know, mm. like they're getting a little overdressed for what it was and like, kind of like, oh, a little too much enthusiasm. But how do you understand opera in today's cultural context in this in 2022, with the internet galloping away with all our lives attached to it? Like, what is opera for people in this realm? In this epoch? You know you know, before we started recording, I complimented you on your fabulous book, The Grey Lady Winked. And yeah, I found that it was just so astute. And it doesn't surprise me that you are nailed the issue in this question here. Opera is suffering something of a identity crisis and has for quite some time. And the identity crisis is, are we a modern art piece? <clears throat> Excuse me. Are we a modern art piece? Or are we a museum piece? Right. You know, and, and this is a central conflict. And on the one hand, when we think of ourselves as a museum piece, it lends itself to tuxedos and gowns and rich, you know, high, high price tickets and champagne and this very, and people want to be a part of that. You know, who wouldn't want to be a part of what seems sure. like a, at the Metropolitan Opera is quite literally a red carpet event, you know, right. <laughs> they've read everywhere. Right. You know, people want to be a part of this thing. On the other hand, it creates such a wall to the average person. And, and ironically, it creates an, a wall to the person who loves musicals, who loves going to the movies. Musicals are just as expensive as operas on Broadway, but yeah. opera has this perception of being rich and, and of, of being for the rich. And sure. I think it's a wall that we need to tear the hell down. You know, when I sang in Dallas, they have a new theater. It was, uh, it's beautiful. It's, it's completely handicapped accessible because the, the person who, 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 who funded and built it, his son is in a wheelchair. And um, yet you go into the opera and you can buy a full bottle of wine that they pour into a sippy cup and you can bring it in and you see these people just you know on these little the pre-k looking sippy cups and everyone's having the best time and at the metropolitan opera heaven forfend you bring in a bottle of water you know and and so we have this problem there's also the question of language 
how many people do you, I mean, in Israel, it's not a thing, you know, I know because I've been spent so much time there, you know, you grow up with subtitles, you grow up with these things. It's not weird in America. Can't tell you how many people wait that's subtitled, forget it. So we have the issue of, and that's a lot of places too. You have the issue of the language barrier and because we're not singing in English. And then there's the question, well, do we, and there was a movement for a while to translate the opera. Some operas are, were designed Mozart's magic flute. He wanted people to sing it in, in their native tongues, whatever, whatever it is. And, but you have a, a movement, but do we give up that classical poetry? Do we give it up? for this accessibility are we abandoning our core audience to satisfy you know five people who would say okay i'll go to the opera now that la bohème is in english mm -hmm. so you you it's a real problem that we have that we're not quite sure how to keep our classic keep our prestige while staying modern while not keeping everybody out while appealing to our hardcore if you will, fan base, because there are some fanatics who just get bit by the opera bug. I was one of those, you know, you just get bit by this bug because there's so many operas and so many singers and so many wonderful interpretations of, of, of the greatest voices you'll ever hear and the greatest conductors that we could ever know, you know, Toscanini and Vancarian and Bernstein, and you just hear all these different interpretations. It, it can, it never gets old because you will always hear a new version of Rigoletto, a new version of Don Carlo. I think the, the solution in some ways is when we, to make it, because I think it is a modern piece. I don't think it should be a museum piece. When I was, I was doing some research, because I also have a, a, a site that I do some writing, because over the pandemic, I got my doctorate. So I got into writing a lot more. Mm, and nice. um, uh, thank you. And uh, what's well, a doctorate? Doing, uh, music, doctorate of musical arts. Um, and it was I, I did my my thesis actually on degenerate music music banned by the Nazis. So that was a fascinating project that I didn't know would have so much information, but my goodness. Um, so when I was doing research for one of the pieces I was writing about, I looked at uh, the Marinsky Theater in Russia because of the ballet, because ballet has a similar problem. Right. How many nutcrackers can you do? Right. I mean, Swan Lakes, right? And is it a new piece? Do people care about the new piece? Whatever it is. But I saw this, uh, I, I don't remember what exactly the opera was. I think it was Swan Lake. I think it was Swan Lake, actually, coincidentally. And it was something like, I'm making up this name. It was like, you know, Hovrostovsky's Swan Lake, right? And I'm thinking to myself, oh, wow, did another composer write uh, a Swan Lake? Because we have that, you know, Rossini wrote in Otello, like Verdi, you know, maybe it's just a different composer. Nope. That was the choreographer. Mm. And I feel like there's a real uh, opportunity there. Why don't we have, I'm making this up, why don't we have Martin Scorsese direct Puccini's La Fanciulla del West at the Metropolitan Opera? I don't know if he would do it. But, you know, Anthony Minghella, who directed The English Patient, I know he did a, a, a butterfly, a Madame Butterfly. Why don't we do something like that so you can say, like, Scorsese's Fanchula del West, and suddenly you have this modern, all-time great director, and you still have the classic reinventing a beautiful classical standard repertoire opera. But that's so, really the so what's the opera. answer? Why, why don't? 
I don't yeah. know. You know, I, 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 that's above my pay grade, literally and figuratively, you know, the, the, the business model in our, in our craft. And I, I, I feel like I'm, I'm painting such a, a jaded portrait of it because I'm so, you know, inveigled in it. It's, a, it's still a, I don't think you'll have a better time than going to the opera when it's done right. But the business model, you know, 30%, if you're lucky, is ticket sales. The rest is donations. So you have, and, and you have these companies who are squeezing money out of the same private donors and corporate donors, and it just is getting smaller and smaller, that circle of donors. And as a result, it's both a positive and a negative, but ticket sales don't really matter that much. So you don't have that immediate feedback necessarily of, wait, people really didn't like that production. Maybe we shouldn't do it. Or, wow, people love this opera. People love this singer. So they're sort of floundering and creates a, a sense of both security and peril all at once. So how do you, when you're looking at your future, mm -hmm. you know, most people, I would say they, they're looking at a future professionally in an industry that they see having growth in personally and for the industry. And you're kind of seeing this, the, it, it feels like a bit of a haze in terms of like what's coming from opera. You can't really see ahead. because it's. I mean, you never can really, but sometimes you think you can. But in your case, how do you frame like for your, for your own career and what you want to do and thinking about, you know, all the things that everybody thinks about, including in the arts, which is, stability and being able to live a certain kind of life that you want to live and like do you just not think about it or do you have a plan or you know what what's the outlook for you as a creative person i don't think about it <laughs> to be honest i will say that usually i've always been in a situation where opportunities present themselves which is a terrible plan if you think about it but <laughs> Not, it's, it's not just, as bad. It's not that bad, to be honest. It's because yeah. it's a mind. It's a mindset, and a mindset keeps you perpetually prepared. So if your mindset is open and positive, I think you're ahead of the game. Yeah, I mean, I have to be. You know, my brother was just saying we were celebrating my niece's birthday this weekend. She's three. Can't believe that. But he he said toda. <laughs> she said. Uh, and he says to me, he's because he, we were talking about a, a prospective gig that I, I may likely get. And he says, I don't know how you do that. It's like applying for a job multiple times a year and getting rejected for it. I mean, I just you just it just rolls off of you. You know, the rejections right. just roll off of you. You know, I think of, of people in the Baseball Hall of Fame, you know, if they make seven out of 10 outs, you know, and they get on base three out of 10 times, they're a Hall of Famer. I think if you get one out of 10 in singing, you're a Hall of Famer in some ways. Mm -hmm. it's, it's, a, it's a very difficult craft, but you know, one gig can lead to the next. You know, you work with people, they like you, they hire you back. I'm blessed. I've been asked back at every company I've ever sung for. And so that's fun because singers can be rough. Yeah, they can be unreliable. They can sound great in, in the practice room, but not in the hall. And you want to be with what you know. What you know is a guaranteed deal. It's like the same thing in movies where you see those directors bringing the same actors to all their movies. Scarlett Johansson again. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> um, well, that's, um, that is really interesting. What do you think, you know, for the rest of us who are thinking about something like opera, hmm. 
and you're finding it's not the money right at this point it's not the entrance like if it's a hundred dollars for the opera whatever it is you know and four hundred dollars to see the next a lot of people are paying to see the next the hard thing about opera for most people i think is the opera itself the accessibility to the music you know and that's that i feel like i feel like there's people sometimes have a shared artistic secret meaning people who love opera know something about opera that the rest of us don't quite know yet and the same thing with jazz like jazz people who love jazz was just i had coleman hughes on the show um hasn't come out yet but you know he's trained in jazz so we're talking a lot about jazz and like he he just fell in love with jazz right almost the same age that you're talking about the 15 16 um but I feel like there are people, lots of people out there who just don't get it. They don't get jazz. They don't get certain kind of poetry. You know, and I feel like that's a, almost a skill in life to learn how to unlock an art form so that you can access its beauty and what it means in the world and what it might mean to you. But how do you do it? And maybe maybe I'm asking the wrong person because you're the guy no, just fell in love no, with the I, thing. I, I don't think you are actually. I think I, I, I may be so bold as to think you're asking the right person. This is also a central challenge, right? That the whole appeal is this drama and and as demonstrated by the naked voice. And yet, how do we advertise? We advertise through billboards, through YouTube ads, through television commercials. So you, you we're trying to say, come hear us with your actual ears by listening to us through speakers you know by advertising through speakers essentially right but everyone i, I agree with you that it's, it's a, it is a, it is a block yet ask anybody what is your favorite part of the shawshank redemption the great tim robbins movie mm-hmm. they'll tell you it's when he locks the guy in the bathroom and he plays the nozze di figaro the marriage of figaro over the record player <laughs> and the whole prison hears it right right everyone loves that part right and it is the music too even though what they're singing about is is nonsense they're writing a letter to try to trap the count Uh, it's it's nonsense but Mozart wrote this beautiful duet and that's a great recording by the way the great Nazi diva Gundula Janowitz on that one but they're singing they're they're playing that duet over the prison and over the prison speakers and everyone immediately understands the beauty and yet when you take it out of that movie it there's a block right right? and and you yeah or or you get the great moment in the untouchables when the 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 spoiler from a movie from 1987 when uh, sean connery's (laughs) character is shot and, and is dying and Robert De Niro's Al Capone is, is crying in the opera as he's listening to, to the great tenor aria Vesti La Juba from Pagliacci, the crying clown, mm. right? It has nothing to do with being shot. I mean, he's, he's crying because he just found out his wife is having an affair and he doesn't know what to do with himself because he has to go put on a show. It has nothing right. to do with being shot, but we feel that. We know it. It almost kills it when you know what it's about in a, way, in a weird way. But there is a block. And I think the, the, the biggest block is is been created by these sort of gatekeepers who want to keep opera at this sort of high art, but not realizing the other edge of that sort. So you get the people, like you said, in Tel Aviv, who come with the tuxedos and the gowns. Oh, I want to be in the opera. I'm going to the opera. Yeah, great. 
one of my best friends when I was singing this summer in Minnesota. I, I found a stream. They were live streaming it. And I'm oh, I got you the stream. And she comes back, sends me a text in the dressing room. How do I understand what you're saying? You know, this basic point that I didn't even think about it, you know, because we're all we're just singing for each other at this point. And uh, but that's the central conflict. I don't know how to really unlock, but I do know that in certain contexts, people can can make that marriage. Like I said, right. with the movies, you know. Yeah, it's a great point. It's relevance. How do you make it relevant to people's emotional lives? And that in Shawshank, that's exactly what happened in that scene. Um, he made it. He the director. I don't actually don't know who the director is, but made it Frank relevant. Darabont. Who is it? Frank Darabont. Oh, nice I have this weird thing. You I pulled I that out. Wow. Him, so yeah, oh, okay. yeah. He also did The Walking Dead, you know, <laughs> and The Green right. Mile, actually. Well, that one makes sense. But he, yeah. you know, he connected us emotionally to the music and to the to even sort of a meta sensation of the music, which is that it frees you. That was like it ennobles, it gives digni dignity, and it creates a sense of freedom within you. And that's. I think what really great art does, it, it doesn't make you feel trapped and small, it makes you feel big and open. If a sense of kind of being able to ponder what's around you yeah. and to move freely. So, so I think that's, that to me is why we think, okay, why opera? And I think the reason to say, to say, well, let's explore it is because it is that ability to turn the key and open the lock to another of life's great secrets. And when you think about opera as something that has persisted for, I mean, what has it been at this point? I, I don't know the 400 exact- 400 almost. 400 years, okay, that's yeah. that's quite a long time for an art form. So I think that would be the way to do it. And I think what you what you say, you know, about, about relevance, about Scorsese or, um, you know, to me, like Kanye, like where the Kanye, <laughs> opera. I saw what his opera, that? by the way. I did see it. Oh, he did an I did opera. See it. Yeah, I had a friend in it. Okay, so I had a few so friends in it, so I did see it. Kanye's ahead of me again. <laughs> <laughs> How was it? I, 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 well, oh, do you have time for a story about that opera? That sure. Because I'll tell you. That. Yeah, let's hear it. Let's hear the Kanye <laughs> no, opera this, story. This was. I mean, it was. It was a star-studded event. You know, Kim Kardashian was thirty feet from me. Uh, you know, all the Saturday Night Live cast was there. Like, it was a major, major event at David Geffen Hall in Lincoln Center. We were there. And, you know, I, I, it wasn't the first show that they had done. They'd done a few performances of it. But so Kanye was the narrator of this piece. Oh, yeah. And I actually have the program right here. It's funny, but uh, he, he, well, he's the narrator it. of, oh, you want to see the program? Yeah, I mean, people just listening won't be able to see. Mary. So this is the. Okay. You know, Google, yeah, Google Kanye West opera Kanye West and you'll opera see the Mary, and it is, Mary. it's this full, you know, like, like, like it's a real program with, with illustrations and everything, right. and all these Bible verses and he's so cool. Uh, yeah, it was, it was, it was fascinating. And so he, he's doing the narration and, you know, <clears throat> as he's doing the narration, there's underscoring, you know, music sort of accompanying his his narration and you know and he's sitting on the corner of the stage the whole time with the microphone you know in his hand and then jesus came and you know not reading very well not to insult him i like him very much but not reading his script very well and not reading the verses very well and as oh, he's reading amazing. you'd hear this this beautiful like trumpet line coming on and as jesus walked out no trumpet 
no trumpet. <laughs> and then he comes back. <laughs> <laughs> he just he, no, Trump. he just was and not he was he not was, happy I mean, with the trumpet there he uh, i don't care that i'm in performance this is going to be right is what he said and i, <laughs> I kind of respected that hell out of that but um, i think i tell you what i think that the biggest block to getting people into the opera is is as this will sound so uh profoundly stupid and obvious but is literally getting people to walk in uh, and yes, that's the struggle for a lot of things, but they're afraid to go in because nobody says, what do I wear to that Broadway show? You know, nobody right. worries about that, really. Nobody says, what do I wear to go to the movies? You know, what do I wear to go to my kid's musical? You know, right. but they all, what do I wear? How will I know what they're saying? Is, is, that's one of the biggest things I get. There have been super titles you know, a, a screen above the stage, which has uh, the subtitles, I call supertitles mm -hmm. because they're above, right? There have been that for, 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 for 30, 35 years now. Yeah. At the Metropolitan Opera and, and, and a lot of the big opera houses in Europe, and at, I think San Francisco Opera as well, yeah, big opera houses here, they have uh, screens on the, on the chair, uh, in, on the backs of the chair in front of you. Mm. Where, you can, where you have the subtitles. Mm -hmm. You see, even, even like, the, like you didn't know that, did you? And, no, I don't. And, I don't think so. I don't think I've ever seen that person. And, and the fact that someone as educated and and sophisticated as you don't know that is exactly the problem, because if Ashley Rinsberg doesn't know it, you can bet your ass almost nobody does. And and it and when you tell people that, they're like, oh really? Oh oh wow, I would be more interested. And they also don't know that so much of the music that they grew up with is from an opera. Most people don't know that the Ride of the Valkyries is from an opera. Most people don't know that so many of the quote unquote overtures, you know, that are from the opera. Marriage of Figaro, you hear it in, in everything, the Marriage of Figaro mm -hmm. overture. You hear so many of the, the Anvil Chorus, Looney Tunes for crying out loud. You know, we, 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 we kill the wabbit, kill the wabbit, right? This is, <laughs> these are all come from operas, but people don't make that connection. And I had a, I had a mentor who, who recently passed away and he was a very, very funny, funny man. And he says, I blame the Germans, is what he used to say. He's, he blames the German gatekeepers for keeping opera away from people like that. But yeah, get, oh, them, wow. in the, get them in the door, get them in the door, and, and they, will, they will see something that they didn't know they could like as much as they do, because they, it's the vocal acrobatics, it's the pageantry, it's that full orchestra, no microphones, nothing. We are, right. we are yelling over 70 sawing strings. You know, and and that has its weaknesses too, and it may not come out perfectly, but that's sort of part of the fun too. You know, on Broadway, I've had students who who have uh, who've been on Broadway, and one of my students, I remember, uh, wonderful, she was in, in in the Broadway Mamma Mia, and she told me that it's in their contract that they have to sing their part exactly as it appears on the original cast recording. So they've created a, a cloning system on Broadway where you're just the mm -hmm. cog in the machine. Right. We don't have anything like that. You know, if you want to hear a, a, a Britney Spears CD pressed play, you know, you go see one of those shows. But right. we don't have anything like that. They want to, the Broadway, people want to be able to scale the show and do it in right. 10 places at the same time. And it'd I'll be the same another, thing. I'll tell you another fun fact. 
about Phantom of the Opera because I have a lot of friends in that. By the way, go see it on Broadway. A few wonderful singers and friends of mine in it now. Um, the Which is a great stage, show. It's a, it's it is a, a great real, show. It is so much it of his is, is a great, great show. Yeah, it is a great show with a lot of music lifted from Puccini. By the way, so if you like that music, you should go see more Puccini. Oh, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> the uh, the stage. Not only is the stage the same in every production of Phantom of the Opera, but the backstage is exactly the same and mm. they have these little divots into the walls where people will stand to let passers-by go you know if you're changing scenes or going from one side of the stage to the other there's a choreography that's memorized okay at this moment in this piece you're going to stand back over here at this moment in that piece you're going to stand over there it is wow. the same choreography everywhere in the world wow. as such when the Phantom got sick here in New York, his understudy wasn't around. They brought in the guy from Chicago's understudy who came in, boom, no rehearsal. I know how this goes. I stand over here, I sing here. Amazing. It's a, it's a well-oiled machine. Who, do you know who is responsible for that aspect of things with that show? Is it, was it an Andrew Lloyd Webber thing or is that something that's oh, more I, related I to building up that? I don't know if he would directly would do that. I don't think he would. It's probably in the production, I would guess. The producer then relays that to the director and they decide together. They've just optimized and optimized and optimized until they created something that's almost it's, flawless. It's just amazing. And, you know, I just saw Hades Town. Uh, we just went to see Hades Town on, on Broadway. And it was just, you know, the first 10 minutes of that piece, my heart just sank. I said, how the hell do we compete with this? It was spectacular. You know, they just started clapping in unison and doing this thing. It was nothing. They had six chairs and three tables. That's what that's that was the set. And they put together this this phenomenal show. I, I think the music is fine. I don't mean to denigrate it, but it, it's certainly not, you know, Rogers and Hammerstein's score. It's not, you know, some of the more ornate Sondheim scores. But we need to do that in our craft. We have the music, we have the singers, but there's a there is a block there. And I think mm -hmm. we can do it. And sometimes we get it. And when we get it, <laughs> you'll never see anything like it. When was the last time you saw something that got it? As an of an opera? Yeah. Oh man. <laughs> you know, I a friend of mine on Twitter said to me something like oh yeah i haven't been to the opera in years and i said me neither <laughs> you know because i i i don't know i i it's hard for me I, I don't know i don't know when the last time a because it's been so long since i've been and b i'm i'm at this point and i and i it's it's a very i'm 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 compromised in the sense that mm -hmm. i'm always seeing my friends on the stage mm -hmm. you know at the major right. opera houses they're my friends so mm -hmm. i'm just there to see them at this point and there's some great things. There are some great moments um, and great singers. That's for sure. I think I do think that the singing is very good right now for the most part. And but I think some of the new productions at the Met look amazing. They, they and the, the big opera houses, they look incredible. The orchestra sounds fantastic. Like I said, the singing is mostly excellent. Um, but there is a there is a, a sometimes there's a magic missing there's a cohesiveness missing and i think part of that is just that it takes time and our business doesn't like to take a lot of time 
You know, it's mm-hmm. you go here, you go there, we'll put it together. Not to denigrate some of the great directors because they're some fantastic directors, but that kind of chemistry, that kind of, of design takes time. Sure. And unfortunately, our business is not one that uh, the business model is not conducive to, to a lot of time. Like so many business models. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so um, second to last question, which is, um, it's, it's not opera, but it's, it's Bernstein's. Did you see the new West Side Story? I did not see the new West Side Story, but I did write about it and I got into a little bit of trouble. Mm. <laughs> but I did not see the new West Side Story. What's what? Uh, what did you write, and what was the trouble? Uh, I, I, he, he made a point to not have any subtitles for any of the Spanish that was spoken, and the reason that he gave, I thought, was a, was this, was just this nonsensical word salad about how subtitled would give English the power over Spanish and out of mm. respect to the Latin X people. I'm not going to have a subtitle. I'm not going. And I'm thinking, this is such nonsense. And so I, I erroneously believe that he had taken the Spanish song lyrics from Lin-Manuel Miranda, uh, but he did not. But I was vindicated afterwards when the chair of the Center for Puerto Rican Studies uh, did not like that there were no subtitles over a few words. Hmm. <laughs> but I did not see, I hear it's wonderful. I, I mean, it looks great. Uh, I love yeah. the show, uh, but sure. no, I did, I did not see the new one. Um, and very last question, which is, uh, what are you reading? I'm reading, oh, I was reading um, fiction. I'm reading Oh, I just have it right here. You know, I used to make fun of my uncle because he couldn't remember any titles of anything that he's like, you know, with this thick Boston accent. I love this new book I'm reading is wonderful. Rachel, what book am I reading? You know, you would ask. Are you sure that's a are you sure that's a Boston? Oh, it's 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 Boston. How are you? Uh, (laughs) uh, So I'm reading two books. One is, yes, lesser known monsters of the 21st century. It's a fantasy book by Kim Fu that just came out. Lesser Uh, lesser known monsters. Of the 21st century. That's a title and a half. Yes, yes. Okay. And the, the one that I'm reading for musical for, for to write about in my site is called Dvorak's Prophecy and the Vexed Fate of Black Classical Music. Wow, okay. Yeah. That's... Uh... And, yeah, about Black composers and, and, and artists during Dvorak's time with Dvorak. And part of the reason that I'm reading that is because I'm... If you didn't know, I'm pretty adamant about opera really being for everybody. And, uh, <laughs> I feel that there's a there's a there's a movement to suggest that it only appeals to a certain group of people, and uh, I don't think that's true. And I think that this book helps solidify my case that classical music was written and meant for everyone, and was not just a uh, evil tool of 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 white royalty. <laughs> as, as uh, the, the capitalist class the capital owning classes yes yes exactly uh, uh, all right well Gideon thank you so much this has been really interesting um, where do people go to to find out more about you or maybe even to see you soon 
Uh, to see me sing is TBD because I haven't inked the contracts yet. I have three coming up, <laughs> but I, I, I can't say, but it will be on my site. So you can either, if you okay. don't want to remember my name, GideonDobby.com, you can do whoisgideon.com. And I invite everyone to to check out my uh, my writing that I write about music and culture is at thenewoperatic.com. The new operatic. Yes. .com. My Twitter is just my name, Gideon Dobby. Cool. Well, thank you. And I, I hope at least um, maybe one person, two, who knows, go listens to this, checks yes, out some goes. Yeah. yeah, go go into the <laughs> hall and and take a look around and yeah, give it a shot. You know, look it up. It's 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 yeah. you know the, these streaming services are so great for it too. There's so much music on the Apple Music and Spotify. It's all there. It's all there. Great legendary recordings. For sure. Thanks, Gideon. As great talking and um, keep singing. Likewise, Ashley. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you. Thank you for joining me today on the Burning Castle podcast. You can follow me on Twitter at Ashley Rinsberg, A-S-H-L-E-Y-R-I-N-D-S-B-E-R-G. And follow the podcast on Twitter at Burning Castle and on Instagram at Burning Castle Podcast. Till next time.